Hello, and welcome to the Catholic Duluth Show. The Catholic Duluth Show is a parish community podcast serving the parishes of St. Lawrence, Holy Family, and St. Joseph in Duluth, Minnesota. I thank you for joining us today. My name is Dan Rhoda, and with me I have Father Eli Giske. How are you doing today, Father Eli? Good. Yeah, life is good. Good to be good to be here. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a beautiful day in Duluth, Minnesota. Beautiful day. We we transferred our uh, studio down to Holy Family this week. Yeah, we yeah. were down here for a meeting, so we decided to broadcast from Holy Family this week. So exciting! Uh, this is uh, what our second time doing down here. I think. I think so. Yeah, yeah. I think w- one of the very first ones mm-hmm. that you were here for, we did down here, and uh, it's nice. There's a really nice big table, big space. Got a nice crucifix. We don't have all the books around us, but yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a nice space to broadcast from, so welcome to the studio. It is, it is, yeah. Um, we have, a, I guess, a nice... In the winter, you have a nice view of the lake, yeah. but now there's leaves on the trees. Um, well, yeah, it's... Um, yeah, we're uh, we're well into ordinary time, yeah. believe it or not. Yeah. we It may not feel like it, but yes. We're, this is our... Uh, what will be the 11th week in ordinary time, and... Or maybe not. Maybe we're not in the 11th. Anyway, we are in the ordinary season, although we've had, as I was mentioning before, we've had saints, and we have Trinity Sunday, and now we have Corpus Christi coming up, so um, it still feels like special time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, Corpus Christi is coming up this uh, this Sunday, mm-hmm. and so that's what we're going to be talking about today is Corpus Christi, uh, which... Uh, what what does Corpus Christi mean? I, th- I thought it was just a city in Texas. <laughs> no, no. Now, Corpus Christi is the, the body of Christ. Yes. So Christi, Christ, Corpus Christi, his body. Yeah. Uh, I I did. Um, I just Googled Corpus Christi because you know just like being like, oh, is there anything? You normally just kind of Google it to see if anything cool pops up, mm-hmm. any cool like resources or anything. And it just yeah, just uh, the city in Texas popped up. I was like, oh. We need to reclaim yeah. the first spot on Google. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Even though the city p- was named after the body of mm-hmm. Christ, I mean, just like all those cities in California. Although we don't really think of like Catholic things, but they were named after the missions that were there. So, mm-hmm. Los Angeles, Las Vegas, not Las Vegas. <laughs> I don't know who I that was I, named after. But I, 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 I wonder what, what, what San Diego, like, where Vegas comes from, but San yeah, Francisco, San Diego, yeah. All those ones, San, yeah. San Bernardino. It, it was actually um, it was interesting when I went to Rome, and then you have all these like cathedrals. They're called like Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wait, what? And I was like, oh yeah, I guess like the Church of the Angels. Yeah. yeah. And so it's like, oh that that actually that like that makes sense. Yeah. Or like San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And it didn't totally click until I was like, oh yeah, that. That makes that's, sense. That's those cities are like, named after. There, there's this ancient ch- church named after uh, the city in the U.S. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> Sacramento. What the heck? <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it is. It is uh, really interesting to see how the uh, how how the U.S. and a lot of the cities are named after Catholic saints. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's just it's, it's it's very very interesting. Yeah. Some of them are are new, even New York, the great uh, city um, named after the. No, I'm kidding. It's <laughs> <laughs> like where that, where are you going with this one? That, that, that's <laughs> Amsterdam, right? They they were. Uh, it was called something first before it was New York, and then 
when the English took it over, they made it New York. So. Oh, interesting. I, I don't remember a lot of that stuff. Yeah. I played a, a game with some personers the other night, and it was a like, bunch of history tiles where you, you give a card, and on one side it has like the name of the event, and then on the other side it has the date. So you have to figure out like what's the sequence. So as more cards get laid on the table, it becomes more and more kind of crowded. So you kind of have less of a window. Like, was it between 1870 and 1860? Or was it, uh, you know, so it's kind of fun, though. You find out little factoids about little events. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I thought that was a little earlier, a little later. But, yeah, it's interesting. Some people are very cued into the timelines. And they're like, oh, New York was founded after, you know, the pilgrims and before the civil war amazing it's like well yes <laughs> it's been there a long time so but yeah no there are some things that i was like oh i thought that was a little bit later earlier but yeah history is an interesting thing i, yeah. I like history so anyway um back to corpus christi back to corpus christi and maybe we'll talk about the history of corpus christi sure so That'd be cool. Uh, so b- before we do that, anything uh, going on this week that w- we want to highlight? We have some ordinations. So we have a diaconate ordination for the transitional diaconate um, tomorrow, Thursday. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have uh, Deacon Trevor Peterson will be ordained to the priesthood on Friday. So yeah, those are exciting moments for the diocese to, to have another priest, have another deacon on his way to the priesthood. So... Um, those will be the first ordinations for our new bishop that he'll have done. So, kind of mm-hmm. exciting for him too. Yeah, and we will have one other transitional deacon this year. We will, but he is just in Rome, so he's going to get ordained yeah. in Rome. Yeah, and that's not until like October. Fall, October. Yeah. So. so, Daniel Hammer. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, and you know, both of the guys getting ordained transitional deacons this year are from uh, the Brainerd Lakes area. Brainerd Diocese so of Brainerd. I'm gonna. Do a little, you know, represent my hometown. <laughs> uh, I mean, Scott's from like Pequot. Yeah. So, yeah. but close enough. The deanery of Brainerd. Close enough. A lot, of, a lot of times the priest will joke about the diocese of Brainerd because that's where all our vocations come from. I mean, there's been a few from other places. And Father Trevor is from, he grew up outside the diocese. Not Father Trevor yet. Deacon Trevor, sorry. Uh, but he claims St. John's is his home parish. So that's his home parish. Well, uh, a Duluth guy, then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and he's going to be going to Hibbing, I believe. Hibbing, yep. He and Father Daniel Weiske will be mm-hmm. both going there together, replacing Father Gabriel. So, yeah. So, yeah, it would be good uh, to have a new priest in and uh, and then a new uh, a new deacon that'll yeah be around. Yeah. So, good news. Good news for the diocese. Uh, and uh, another kind of extension of just another of an exciting month of May, getting the bishop. So, um, good things on the horizon. Yeah, we're in June now, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But, oh, oh, but I, continu- I was, I was continuation of the events of May. Yes, correct. Yeah, you're right. Correct. Correct. We're we're we've been gaining a lot of good news lately. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So let's, let's let's keep it going. Yeah. And did we want to highlight adoration? Is that oh right? yeah, yeah, yeah. We're um, so we're talking about Corpus Christi, which is you know have to have to has to do with the Eucharist. So we thought we would just re-mention that. In our parishes, we have adoration on Tuesdays at St. Lawrence and Wednesdays at Holy Family. So uh, right now, you can come to those or you can sign up for an hour. I mean, I think most of them are covered right now, but um, you can always just come 
and spend some time with Jesus in the in the Eucharist in the most blessed sacrament. And uh, yeah, it's a great time. So we do eight thirty to eight thirty on Tuesday mm-hmm. at St. Lawrence and eight thirty to five thirty, I think it is. I, I want to say six thirty. Six thirty here at Holy Family. And then they do choir practice, I think, after that. So anyway. Yeah, so you can stay for choir practice. Yeah, you can join the choir. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, as we can kind of go in and talk, start talking about Corpus Christi and the Eucharist, um, yeah, I think it's just a really great opportunity uh, that we have in our parishes to go to adoration because not not all parishes you have access to adoration, especially weekly, you know. There's... Uh, so, so yeah, I would. It's it's really a privilege to 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 have the opportunity to go to adoration. So yeah. just you know, really hit home the importance of it, and we'll continue to hit home uh, the importance of it for the rest of the podcast. Great. Um, well, Father, would you open us in a prayer? Sure. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lord, we come to you today as we reflect on the Blessed Sacrament, the Corpus Christi Feast, and the the gift that we have in the Eucharist. We ask you to help us um, ponder this mystery of the faith. May our parishioners come to uh, hunger for the Eucharist in a deeper way, to be present to you in a physical and tangible way. Um, we ask you, Lord, to be present to any of our parishioners right now who, who need assistance or prayers. Um, I lift up in particular uh, Isaac Baker, one of our parishioners who in need of some healing and his family. We pray for all those who um, are suffering in any way that they, that they would be blessed and uh, drawn ever closer to the Lord through their sufferings, through their offering of themselves. We ask our mother to intercede for us. Hail Mary, full, full of, of grace, grace, the Lord, Lord is with thee. thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy, Holy Mary, Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. death. Amen. With the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Uh, thank you, Father. Yeah, thanks. So, um, Corpus Christi, body of Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, normally I look at when the feasts started, but yeah. I didn't look that up for this. So, do you do you know off the top of your head when the feast of Corpus Christi began? I don't know the exact date. So, I know. St. Thomas Aquinas wrote a mass for it, uh, the office, rather, the divine office for it. And that's where we get the, the hymn Tantum Ergo that we sing um, when we repose the Blessed Sacrament, or right before we repose the Blessed Sacrament, and O Salutaris, I think it was part of that as well. Um, so I think he lived from like 1215 to 1275 or 70. He was 49 when he died, so... Yeah, so, you know, probably that probably happened in the 12th, 12th 13th century, I'm guessing. Um, well, we'll, we'll guess for 1264. There we go. Yeah. So, that was a pr- pretty good guess. Maybe he was 12, maybe he was born in 1225. That would put um, him around, because I think he just missed the Council of Lyon, which was sometime in the 1270. So, yeah, that would make sense. 1265. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. Well, Balseno and Orvieto over in Italy. This is uh, one of the Eucharistic miracles that we still have in the mm-hmm. church. Um, so the, this event happened. The Pope was living in Orvieto, which is a little hill country in 
Italy, they would go there for the summer sometimes because it was hot in Rome. So they would go up to this little town up in the mountains. And a miracle happened in a little town outside of Orvieto called Bolsena, or Bolsena, something like that. Yeah. And they, the, the priest was celebrating Mass. The Eucharist began to bleed. The host began to bleed. And so they ran to tell the Holy Father, hey, this is happening. And he came. And then they kind of met in between somewhere. So now they, what they do is they do a, a procession on, on the Feast of Corpus Christi in both places. Um, they maybe used to go from one place to the other, but I don't think they do that anymore. So anyway, I got to do that one year when I was over there in oh, cool, Italy. So yeah, um, so yeah, so uh, that the Eucharistic miracle happened in 1264. Okay, so probably the, the divine office was probably composed shortly thereafter. Mm-hmm. And they have a huge basilica in um, Orvieto that houses the relic, the corporal where the blood was dripping on. So, okay. Which yeah. is the little white cloth that, the, that we use at Mass to kind of collect the particles. You know, the priest kind of tries to do all the Eucharistic things over the corporal so that if any pieces of the Eucharist should fall down, that they're, they are on that cloth. So that's the little white cloth that we spread on the altar, the corporal. So, uh, And so the, the host started to bleed, like, as he was... Right at the consecration. Like right at the consecration. So he was like holding it up. Mm-hmm. And it started dripping. And it just started dripping blood. Yeah. That's kind of crazy. Yeah. So he was kind of struggling with his belief in the Eucharist. He believed it, and he was asking for like faith to believe it, but he was struggling with it. And then this Eucharistic miracle happened. So sometimes the Lord is, that's one way he works sometimes, is to do a miracle for somebody. You know, we often say he doesn't do the miracle for those who doubt and don't believe, but he does one for those who struggle, and maybe you could even say doubt, but are trying to believe or want to believe. So this is one of those cases where he responded in a very generous way, not just for this priest, but for all Catholics, really. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, because, I mean, if you think, like, if this happened here at Holy Family Church, mm-hmm. like how, like, that would, there'd be people coming from, I mean, all over the place, all right? To be like, what just happened? Like, yeah. I need to, I need to see this with, with my own eyes. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, so, like, yeah, that's pretty cool. That that's something that happened in eight hundred years ago, all right? And still impacting people's yeah. faith today. Yeah, you know, it's it's one of those things we can think about and say, "Wow, that was really cool," or we can actually just think like, "Oh, wow, actually, this happens every time." Like. Mm-hmm. The Lord does pour out his blood and his body for us. It's just a sacramental presence rather than like a visual presence. You know, like we can see Jesus, what looks like bread. We can see Jesus and what looks like wine. But it is actually the body and blood of Christ. Um, but, yeah, I, I think these miracles help us to some degree. But in a sense, every Mass, there's that miracle of the transformation, mm-hmm. the transubstantiation that happens. So changing of substance. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, um, I wouldn't say it's maybe, uh, like, encouraging uh, that, like, that priest had a, a, a doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, at the same time, I think it is kind of encouraging mm-hmm. just for people, like, in their everyday lives who believe it but can struggle with it. Yeah. Or, or, or even believe it and believe in it 
like with certainty, but don't feel it mm-hmm. or just, you know, I, I think everyone has those times in their lives where they're just like, okay, God, I like, I know you're there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but other than just me saying that there's not a whole lot mm-hmm. of me that's really like, yeah, it kind of reminds me of like the, this, the, the you know? doubting Thomas experience, yeah. you know, where it's like, he struggled, he wanted to believe, but he didn't believe, or he, he was like, you guys are tricking me, or what, and like, for whatever reason, he, he didn't think that Jesus had appeared, and then the next day, or the next week, Jesus appears, and asks him to put his hands in his side, and his fingers, and all that, and so, it was a very corporeal experience of Jesus, and... And similar way, these Eucharistic miracles are are that for some people. So, yeah, yeah, and um, I mean, I definitely have to believe that there's people like out there and and that come to mass every Sunday who are kind of in this group where um, they're thinking like, okay, I'm told that this is the body of the blood of Christ, mm-hmm. and I don't know if I totally believe that. Mm-hmm. Like, I like maybe I want to, maybe I don't want to maybe i'm like afraid of it because it, i mean it's kind of crazy just yeah. i mean the idea of it is pretty crazy um to believe it you, you basically have to have supernatural faith you have to have a faith that says like this world there's something beyond this world there's powers outside of this world there's things that i can't see that are at work here so it is asking a lot you know when we think mm-hmm. about what we're saying when we talk about the eucharist we are asking somebody to believe in something they can't see. Um, and so if you're the technical, one of the technical terms we use is a materialist. Basically, I only believe what I can see. I only believe in things that I can like tangibly touch or whatever. Um, that can be challenging. Like, how do I believe in angels? How do I believe in my soul, that I have a soul? How do I believe in eternal life, the resurrection? So having a miracle happen can be a way where people say, okay, this is not explainable by any scientific means. How would this happen? There's something at work greater than, you know, than this experience that I can see this thing. Here is something that doesn't match that. So miracles are are evidence of something beyond what we can normally control or use science to explain. So they're they're helpful in that sense. Yeah. Um, so I want to get into, I have a couple quotes here. Yeah. Um, and so one of them is from, uh, is from this book. And so it's, it's called Divine Intimacy. Oh, yeah. And uh, I, th- I brought quotes from this before uh, on the podcast, but um, it basically just has like some different meditations for each day of the liturgical calendar. And so um, this was the, or this is the part of the excerpt from uh, the Feast of Corpus Christi. And it just talks about how um, in the consecrated host, we find the same Jesus whom Mary brought into the world, whom the shepherds found wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in, the, in a manger, whom Mary and Joseph nurtured and watched over as he grew before their eyes, the Jesus who called the apostles to follow him, who captivated and taught the multitudes, who performed the most startling miracles, who said he was the light and life of our world, who, who forgave Magdalene and raised Lazarus from the dead. Uh, for the love of us, sweat, sweat blood, 
received the kiss of the traitor. Um, and it kind of goes on to talk, talk a little bit more about how like the same Jesus who rose from the dead and ascended to, into heaven, that's the same Jesus that we see in the Eucharist and receive in the Eucharist. Yeah. And it was just one of the things I was like, okay, I mean, if I like, I mean, that makes sense, but I never thought about it specifically that way before. Yeah. Like it gave me like a new lens of looking at the Eucharist because, um, it's like when you see, uh, whether it's your grandfather, your great grandfather, someone, someone who like lived through like the world war or something or the great depression or some, some historical event that seems to us kind of far distant when you see that person and they are like, yeah, I lived through that and I saw this and like I think in eighth grade I had to do a little report where I interviewed my grandfather about the Great Depression and World War II or something like that and it's like it makes those events more real in a sense like here's somebody who lived through that and so when we see Jesus in the Eucharist it's like here is Jesus like he did all those things that you mentioned and now he's present here in this way and I can be with him like wow like that's that's amazing. Yeah. And I think the one that really stood out to me, like the idea of just like, like him being like the one who for, forgave uh, Mary Magdalene and who like consoled her. And just think about like when we go to adoration, like that's really a lot of what happens mm-hmm. is this um, like, I mean, unless we go to a packed adoration chapel, it's just like one-on-one. Mm-hmm. And, like if you, yeah, just thinking, like it's so easy for me to think about like when I go to adoration, just like, oh, here's like Jesus, but he's like on like a, I always think of him like, you know, like like on like a throne or something mm-hmm. and just kind of like far away and I'm just like chilling in like the back. Hey, Jesus. You know, um, but just think like, no, this is like the same, like the same Jesus that we read about in the scriptures, the same one that we like encounter just at mass and in the world. Um, it's just right here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a moment of intimacy with the Lord. And yeah, if we dispose our hearts to just connecting with him, whether that means like saying something to him or just being with him or, I mean, there's, there's tons of ways of being with the Lord just as there is with other people. But, um, it, yeah, when we, when we recognize Jesus in the Eucharist, it's a different experience than if we just say, oh yeah, that's the Eucharist, that's 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 communion, we eat that, we we take that, we um, and it's easy to do, but I think when we recognize the person of Jesus, the presence of Jesus, um, it brings out a different dynamic of what is the Eucharist, who is the Eucharist, you know, um, and something we can easily take for granted or forget as we just come to Mass or, you know, because we don't, we say all these things, we hold the Lamb of God, we, we, we talk about Jesus, we say all these things that are meant to remind us, and yet we can get so inoculated to them that we just sort of forget, like, what is this that we're doing here? So it's good to be reminded. Yeah. I think that's what Corpus Christi is, one of the, one of the things that why the Lord did this, I think, is to help us remember this great gift. Oh. And there's uh, there's 
to like to a certain extent, like going to mass every Sunday or even going like during the weekday, it's great because we're able to be with the Lord and receive Him. Um, but we can also get into the routine of just showing up, right. and um, when we get used to something, our kind of you know our brain can go in like autopilot, mm-hmm. and so like yeah, it's it can be difficult to keep that like awe and wonder mm-hmm. when we get used to it. Yeah, and that happens with everything, right? Even really beautiful things, things that are mysterious. I mean, think about the first time you go to like some overlook or something like that. That's beautiful. There's a huge view of the lake or whatever before you. It's like can be awe-inspiring. But if you like live there and you wake up to that every day, I mean, I think people sometimes think like, oh, that'd be awesome. And it, it is like, I'm sure it's beautiful, but the newness can wear off, right? Mm-hmm. Or even think of like a relationship, like when somebody's first dating somebody, there's sort of this felt, uh, like chemically and emotionally probably, your body is like reacting to this person in a very powerful way. Um, And when you've been married for a long time, you know, whether it's 20 years, 50 years, whatever, you might not respond in the same way, but that person is still just as real. And your love, hopefully, is just as strong, if not stronger, at, at that point. So it's like our our relationship or our interaction matures, but the the reality is still there. You know, and it's the same with Jesus. We're we're in the Eucharistic presence, and it's a beautiful thing. We can receive the Eucharist, um, but sometimes our emotive state of awareness is less aware if that makes sense so it's good to be reminded and kind of re- renewed in that um i mean just like people go on a getaway a weekend to kind of renew their relationship or people take a retreat or a sabbatical from their work so that they can kind of be reminded of why they why they're doing what they're doing or to kind of be renewed in it um sometimes we need that refresher in a sense and look at something with new eyes or new awareness or have that awareness and and um, knowledge deepen to a deeper understanding. So if we have a growing relationship with the Lord, our recognition of his Eucharistic presence should only deepen over time and become more and more intimate. That, that experience of just being with the Lord in the, in the Eucharist should grow and become more and more intimate over time. And that's something that's... I think for most of us, so slow and growing. Like, I think of, I mean, I've been doing holy hours now every day for, since I was in the seminary. So, what is that? Six, like 14 years. Like, there's a lot of, a lot of progress that's been made in terms of like, being able to be with the Lord. But there's also, it's like, not like something I can measure each day. Like, every day is important. But it's also like, it's so slow that you can't measure it, you know, or you can't say like, oh, today I feel a lot more close to the Lord. It's, it's just this kind of growing slowly, organically thing, um, kind of like a, a tree in the forest grows like every year. There's the rings that grow in a tree or whatever. Mm-hmm. You, if you sit there and watch it for 100 years, it's like going to grow, but you don't notice it 
unless you're paying attention to that year by year thing. So I think that's a good image for how our relationship with the Lord, especially in the Eucharist, can can mature and grow over time. But it's not something um, that's going to always have that same emotive response. I mean, if, mm-hmm. if you've ever gone to like a retreat where they do adoration and it's got like very beautiful music or powerful music or something that were, people were just very aware of the Eucharistic presence versus, like you say, the experience of going to our adoration hours here at the parishes where it's just quiet, so you and Jesus, and there might be one or two other people in the church, but it's it's a much different experience, but in some way, it's it, we're free to... No, there's nothing else here to, except to focus on Jesus and to be with Jesus, and that's it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to talk um, a little bit about uh, when it comes to the Eucharist. And as Catholics, you know, we believe that it is the body and blood of Christ, which, I mean, really no other denomination believes that. Right. I mean, there's like one kind of Protestant denomination that says they do, but yeah. I don't know if it's really the same. Right. I'm not super familiar with it. And then um, obviously there's something like the Eastern Orthodox that it's pretty much the same. Same belief. It's the same belief. And I know like if you're Eastern Orthodox, you can come to like a Roman Catholic church and receive. Um, but for the most part, like all the other the Christian. Pro- the Protestant the, churches. Yeah, like pro- Protestant. And the Episcopalian, if you want to, if you want to make yeah. that distinction. The Anglican Church, the Episcopalians, the the Lutherans—all those churches have a different theology and understanding of what the Eucharist is. I mean, some mm-hmm. of them will kind of make arguments of like we we believe in a spiritual presence and that the actual host is a symbol, but we really do receive Jesus. You know, the, the Lutherans will say something like that, but um, at the end of the day, they don't have valid orders, meaning priests who are ordained through bishops and so forth nor do they have the same theology. So it is a different thing. It's a different reality. And so we would not recognize their their communion as the Eucharist. And as hard as that is for some people to receive that, it's like, well, you don't believe the same thing we do, so it can't be the same. You don't mm-hmm. have the same holy orders. That's what we believe um, and understand to be able to bring the Eucharist about is through the priesthood. That's why the priesthood is so important, um, not simply to be leaders in the church, but to be able to confect this, the term to bring about the Eucharist, to bring the Holy Spirit down upon this bread and this wine to become the body and blood of Christ. So, yeah, so it's a good question. The difference we have, and then the result of that is that we don't have open communion, which some churches have open communion. Come on up if you believe, or if you want, come receive communion, you know, and it's very interesting. A lot of Protestant churches kind of downplay communion these days. Like, it's not really a big part of their... It's like, kind of go off in the corner and have some grape juice and a little cookie if you want, and that's their communion. Like, um, they just have a different... Because it's not Jesus, it's just a sign, a symbol. It's like, well, do I really need that? Is it really that important? Mm-hmm. Whereas us, for us as Catholics, the Eucharist has always been the very center of the Mass, the most important of the part of the Mass is, is the consecration... Um, the presence of Jesus coming to us, receiving communion if we're in a state. So that question of who can receive, who should receive, um, becomes an important thing because um, the early church 
you wouldn't even go. There was the Mass of the Catechumens, which is like the Liturgy of the Word part of Mass. And there's the Mass of the Faithful, which would be, you know, those who are Catholic and who are ready to receive. And so they wouldn't even allow people who were, who were not Catholic or not um, ready to receive to come to the second part of Mass. They would, they would leave the Mass and go and be catechized or whatever. Um, the Church over time decided, no, we can have others present. They just can't receive. Um, but that's, you know, that's been disputed some sometimes um, in more recent history. Some have said we should have uh, open communion, or where there's there are certain circumstances where we sh- should allow people to receive. And so it's it's been a a question. Um, right now, in our country specifically, there's sort of been the debate about, you know, politicians who who um, support abortion or things that are basically against the Catholic teaching, should they be able to receive? Should they um, be welcomed to communion? I mean, in a sense, everybody's welcomed, but basically what you have to do to be welcomed is to say, I believe what the church teaches, and I, that's how I live my life, and then I've been received into full communion. So the, the answer of the church is not that you cannot receive, but you're not ready to receive. So that's a fine distinction, but um, so when, when we have friends who are Protestants who come to our church, it's important to explain to them, you know, um, you know, we don't have open communion. We have, you can call it closed communion, or we just have communion just for Catholics. Um, and the, the reason why we have that is because we believe this is Jesus, and you don't believe this is Jesus, so we wouldn't want somebody to receive who doesn't um, believe that this is Jesus because they, they might not have the same respect that we do, we, we should have. And then the other other thing is communion is a sign and a reality of our union together. So when someone's not in union with the church, whether it's because of sin, so if somebody's in mortal sin, or because they've rejected the faith, or they're a different religious f- affiliation, so maybe they're um, Muslim, or maybe they're Protestant, or maybe they're, you know, something like that. Like, you're not in union with us, so you shouldn't receive with us. So... There's, there's a number of things uh, why somebody is maybe not ready to receive, um, but the line is not that you can't receive, but that you're not ready to receive. And I think some, that's very hard for some people to understand mm-hmm. or to accept. And it, it seems very unwelcoming. Yeah, yeah, it, it's, it's exclusive, mm-hmm. right? In, um, in a society that, where we're not particularly fond of any being told we can't do something. Yeah, and... Is it St. Paul in the scriptures that talks about how, like, if someone, um, if someone, like, receives the Eucharist who... Unworthily. Who, yeah, is either, you know, in a state of sin or um, isn't connected to the church, isn't in union with the church, kind of like you're talking about, like, that's actually, like... It's a grave sin. It's a, yeah, it's a grave sin. It's, like, kind of... Yeah, even like kind of putting them further away because you're not you're not supposed to do it, right? Right. And so right, and so he he talks about that in First uh, Corinthians chapter twelve, and he he kind of um, says, you know, you should when you're coming to receive, um, discern the body and blood of Christ. Basically, he's just saying, if you don't believe this is the body and blood of Christ, you're not ready to receive. Um, if you don't live in a way that's in union with the body and blood of Christ, then you shouldn't receive. So he's getting at that, and um, 
the church has always looked at that passage as kind of important understanding of, okay, when we come to receive, it's not just about do I want to receive, it's am I ready to receive? Mm-hmm. And that's always been something that the church has held from the very beginning as important. It's not just that person's discernment, but it's also the church's discernment. And so it's kind of a two-way thing. Um, you know, we can't read somebody's soul, so if it comes down to like a matter of sin or something like that, we can't really judge. It's, it's up to that person to, to make a judgment of their own state of soul. But then there's things that are exterior. So I'm a politician. I, I support abortion, or I support uh, homosexual marriages, or I support, um, you know, you know, getting rid of uh, eugenics or whatever, you know, like getting rid of certain populations or something like that. Like these are things that are anti-Catholic. We can't, like, and you're publicly saying these things, so you are publicly a witness against the church, so therefore you are not in union with the, with the church, no matter what you say, like, oh, I'm a good Catholic, or I'm a, I mean, that's the whole question of our president right now, right? Like, he's saying I'm a good Catholic, and yet he does these things, and so he's not living according to what the church says, and so the question is, should he be receiving? Typically, the church would say no. I mean, it becomes a political issue in as much as, you know, we try to play the game. But at the heart of it, it's not about politics. It's about, are you following what the church says? Are you believing what the church says? Are you in union with the church? If you're not, then then you're not. That's simply the fact. And so it's not a it's not a disinvitation. It's like you have made decisions. You have decided to live your life in such a way that you are not in harmony with the church, and therefore you're not in a state to receive. So it's the same thing um, if somebody is not Catholic, publicly, you're not in union with the church. So until that's remedied, you're not ready to receive. And it's no, it's no, um, you shouldn't feel bad about that. You shouldn't feel like excluded. It's just, it's a fact, you know. Um, I'm trying to think of a simple example, like, you know, sometimes we get benefits for being a senior citizen or for being in the military or um, things like this where we get a discount or we get a special benefit or whatever. It's like, well, I'm not in the military, so I don't get that benefit. I'm not a senior citizen. I don't get that benefit. And I can't just say, well, I'd like to have that benefit. No, I'm not, so I don't get it. So, I mean, that's, I think one of the challenges we're running to in our culture right now is we have this whole thing of like, I can identify with whatever I want to be. And it's just not, not a Catholic way of thinking. So we don't go Mm -hmm. for that, you know? Yeah. And I mean, obviously that is a point where it's like, it can, it can be tough because then there, you know, there's people involved. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) And so it can, and people take it personally. Yeah. And, and you can take it personally and you can, it's like one of those things where it's like, Oh, well I have to like pick a side Mm -hmm. or something. Um, yeah, it's very it's very clear and simple when you look at it in terms of like, are you or are you not in union with the church? And if you're not, then you're not ready to receive. Yeah. If you are, then you're already to receive. And it's tough too because there, there's a lot of other things that you can like do or not do so that that you shouldn't receive. Right. Right. But obviously, the one with um, like president is the like it's like the lightning rod it's it's the, the big one right now right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um but there's a lot of other things and um i've heard like a priest talk about too that like it's almost become or a lot of people feel like or people receive 
just because that's what you do. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, I go to mass so that I can, so like for com- communion, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which that's not a terrible like mindset. No, but but no. but it's just like, oh, if I don't receive, then people are going to look at me weird. Yeah, right. It's not a bad mindset. It's it's perhaps an incomplete mindset of mm-hmm. what mass is about. Like, it would be enough to be at mass and not receive, and you're still part of mass, you know. Uh, but if you're not in a state to receive, then you shouldn't receive. If you are, then why wouldn't you receive, you know? But yeah. it's not about just receiving the Eucharist. I mean, that's very important, and we should if we can, because Jesus wants to be with us. But um, if we can't receive, sometimes people will say, well, if I can't receive, I don't want to go to Mass. Mm-hmm. Like, well, it's kind of like saying, you know, if I can't talk to Grandma, I don't want to go see Grandma. You know, maybe Grandma's in a coma or whatever. Like, you could think of situations where, you should still go and be present. Like maybe you have a friend who's getting married. You go to the wedding. You're not going to get a chance to talk to the friend or like have a long conversation with them probably, but you're there to support them. You're there to be with them. You're there because you're a friend of theirs or a relative or something. And that's why you go, not because you're hoping to get something out of it personally. I mean, maybe you are, but you're more there for them, not for yourself. And it's the same way when we go to mass, we're there for to be with Christ, to worship and when we receive, that's like a benefit or a bonus. So, yeah. But it's hard hard for people to look at it that way because it's so kind of they're so connected in our mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, um, maybe I'll just touch on this before we um, before we end for today. But uh, there's the you know the the, the mass fast, mm-hmm. right? So supposed to fast from food for an hour before you receive. Yeah. Or, right. Um, and. I guess so. But before Vatican II, it was like from like the evening the previous day. Yeah. Right. And so, um, and so people like it would it was more common to not receive. And so um, there's this, this priest in here was talking about like we should go back to that because then people wouldn't feel as bad if they uh, didn't have to re- like receive. And they're like I just got hungry. And so you, you know, like you, you don't so. know. Um, um, so I thought that was kind of like yeah. I was like oh that's like I don't know that's kind of an interesting thought. So. Um, but. Uh, but but just this kind of idea that like we shouldn't be um, like ashamed to not receive. Right. Um, it's actually a sign of love of the Lord if you recognize I'm not in a place to receive and I'm willing to undergo. If you want to call it this, the humility of just saying, "Okay, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. And that's okay." Mm-hmm. Um, versus like I'm more worried about what everybody else is thinking right now about me, and therefore I'm going to go receive Jesus when I know I shouldn't. I mean, it's, you're basically putting the priority on yourself versus the Lord in that moment. And, and what does that say? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, yeah. And I mean, these are conversations I don't think really we have a lot in the church. So, um, most of the time I think people think if they don't go up that people are going to look at them and say, what is wrong with that person? Or that person must not be Catholic or Mm -hmm. whatever. And we shouldn't, if we're in that place of judging, for one, we shouldn't do that. And if we're the, in the place of ha- having to abstain, like we shouldn't have any qualms about that. That should just be a normal part of our Catholicism. Like maybe I went to Mass already today, or maybe, like you said, I had to eat something, or maybe, um, I mean, there could be any number of things, but we instantly in our mind go to like, well, this person must be a great sinner. sinner. <laughs> this must be a great <laughs> sinner or something. And it's like, well, 
So what if they are? Like, mm-hmm. I am too. I mean, maybe I just got to confession before they did, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know, whatever. But we can we can make it into a bigger deal than it needs to be, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And it takes, yeah, it kind of kind of what you said too. Like, it takes away the, takes us away from Christ, mm-hmm. you know? Because we're like, oh, well, like that person is this or this, you know? Mm-hmm. It hardens like, our heart too when we... Mm-hmm. When we're more caring about those little details than we are about like, here's Jesus in front of me, and um, I want to honor him, whatever that means, to, whether it means to abstain or to receive. So, mm-hmm. yeah, um, good. Well, yeah, I, th- I think this was a good, uh, good discussion about the Eucharist, Corpus Christi. Um, uh, another thing that's just coming to my head is uh, I think the 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 Eastern Duluth churches are having uh, a Corpus Christi procession. Right. Which I don't know what time it is. I think it's either one thirty or 1 o'clock from okay. St. Ben's down to the cathedral Okay. on Sunday. So, yeah, that's... I won't be there because I have the 11 o'clock mass, but I think, um, yeah, I think hopefully it'll be a lot of people. Mm-hmm. S- special day, special opportunity. Yeah, so if you're interested at all in that, that's happening on the, on the east side. Um but yeah, that's going to do it for us this week. Uh, thank you, Father, for, for joining. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, we hope you have a great rest of your week, and we will catch you next time.